man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Welcome to Who Shot Ya? I'm Ify Wadiway, and this is another episode. Y'all hyped? Because we're going to find out who done it. I feel like I try and get creative with the intro every time, and it never quite... It's never, amazing. Maybe never, you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you always should. Yeah, yeah, it's I like always... watching a graph, and yeah. I don't know which way it's going to go. Well, well, you, the voices you hear and you're excited to uh, explore, explore, meet, yeah, all of the above. Film reviews editor at the Rap, Alonzo Duralde. What's good? <laughs> I'll tell you what's good, Ify. Um, there is a really fun uh, podcast thing happening right now. There's a show that I like every year called Christmas Past. Uh, they do some shows during the year, but they obviously they, they go heavy in the in the fourth quarter, as you might say. Um, and this year they're trying something different uh, in addition to the usual stuff where they talk about the history of the holiday and why certain traditions have come up. They have a six-part true crime story uh, about this guy who got involved in a charity in the early 20th century that was supposed to sort of like uh, set connect like poor kids who wrote letters to Santa with benefactors who would like, you know, give them the gifts that they asked for. Um, and then of course was a total scam artist and the whole thing went South. Anyway, so uh, Brian Earls created this six-part series called My Dear Santa. Uh, I got to participate in it a little bit, but I'm, I'm barely in it. It's, it's mostly about all this other stuff. I, I threw in a few sort of tidbits about film history. But uh, it's a really fun uh, true crime podcast. And if you want a true crime show that is about Christmas and nobody gets murdered in it, this could be the thing for you. So Ooh. go to Christmas Past and look for the six-part episode called My Dear Santa. Oh, very, very sneaky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm only interested in murder. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> know. I was like, oh, you took the best part out. <laughs> uh, that other voice you hear is producer and film festival programmer, Drea Clark. Drea, what is good? What is good with me is that next week is going to be the release of a television program that was one of my favorite things that I programmed at the Sundance Film Festival last year, 2019. Um, it's called Work in Progress. It's uh, It was in our indie episodic section, and it's created by um, Abby McKinney. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, and Tim Mason. And Lily Wachowski ended up coming on as a producer, and it's going to be on Showtime. And it's so wonderful, and Abby plays... A self-described fat, queer, sad dyke. Um, oh, I guess queer and dyke might be redundant, but so I might have ed- edged in one of those. But the whole thing is it's she's in this really dark place. It starts off, she's like genuinely suicidal and unhappy. And through all of these circumstances, the one of the love story of it is she ends up falling for a young trans man. And it's like open stores for her. But one of my favorite things about the premiere, which is the version that we showed at Sundance, um, is Julia Sweeney ends up playing a part in it because mm. she sees her at a um, uh, like a coffee shop and just looks at her and is like, Pat ruined my life. Like, I hate Pat, the character that Julia played on Saturday Night Live. So Julia Sweeney plays a version of herself in the show and Abby gets to confront her about that. So it's it's oh, wow. really doing interesting things and I, I like a sad comedy. Like, that's kind of my sweet spot. So I'm very, that's what's good. It comes out next week and I'm really hoping people like it, watch it and like it. Ooh, so that and the new L Word both coming yes. to Showtime. and the new L Word is uh, created and 
being made by a woman whose very first film I programmed at Slam Dance oh, like wow. 15 years ago. So, oh, Marja? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we we screened her work at Outfest. Too. Of course, yeah, yeah. I just got the Showtime app, so I'm locked, loaded. Okay, and there you go. All righty then. Yeah, yeah. I those I actually grew up on those shows. Fun fact is, I used to watch uh, Queer as Folk and. Uh, L word because in high school my best friend was gay and was like if you want to understand me you have to watch queer as folk and so I watched I hope every you wrote episode. That in a note and passed it to you. Also, I'm the understanding idea, so much. The idea now. of understanding any queer person via watching <laughs> queer as folk and the L word. Uh, that, that, I mean, that's Woo. just typical high school. Uh, like, like that's oh, me yes. up there. Yeah. telling my my truth. I felt that way about my so-called life, and I was kidding. Just like, yeah. All right, so, and the final guest today is someone I've talked about many times, mentioned by name, infamous to some, famous to others, culture staff writer for Slate, Ingu Kang, what's good? I'm back. Yay! (laughs) Uh, I have not been able to get down to L.A. very much this year, um, and I was sort of trying to stay home. And then April Wolf invited me to her movie premiere. So that is what is uh, giving me life right now. Mm. And also she sends her love, her Mm. black icy love. Uh, (laughs) The most Wolfian kind of love. Yeah, that's that's the same type of love I give out. Uh. (laughs) It's a different kind of black Black, love. A little bit. Black Christmas in theaters, December 13th. What do Iffy and April have in common? Black love. Black love. (laughs) Iffy, what's good? Oh, Oh, shit. Oh, the guest comes in. Oh, she's a veteran. What's good with me? I haven't been able to shut up about it. And uh, um, Tyson Fights, Daniel Radford, has said this is just me being a dad. But I just got a new sound system. Uh, It's the full Samsung soundbar setup with... uh, Monster subwoofer, two rear, uh, two like rear speakers, and my upstairs neighbors are just complete assholes. I was about to ask, how many people do you share a wall, floor, or ceiling oh, with? Ooh, <laughs> technically three. It's really the top, the top neighbors, and I've never liked them because they make so much noise. I'm telling you, they're either tap dancing or doing some type of like. Dutch clog. It's always noise. Like I, we, I had friends over for Thanksgiving, and they were making noise, and they were like, "Does that always happen?" I'm like, "All the time." So this was like finally where I was like, and it's not even like me getting revenge, but I was like, "Oh, I can feel comfortable jamming because there's no way you're gonna come talk to me because I'm be like, well, first of all, uh, so." And I first saw it. I have a 4K TV, and I saw uh, Into the Spider Verse, and I had that thing. Blasting! It was my first, funny, funny enough, first time seeing it all the way through. And when I say that, you know, when you're about to walk into a movie and you're a little late, and it's the but it's the previews and the theater has that rumble, like that's what it sounded like in my house, and I did not care. And uh, no one complained, so we'll see how long this lasts. <laughs> as long as the windows do, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, on today's show. We're talking about Knives Out, which is going to happen if my neighbors try and complain about me. Uh, And we're also going to take a call for the Who Shot line. And, of course, we have our staff picks. But first, it's time for our news segment called It a Dick, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Each of us will read a news segment and answer the question, Is This Important? Do I Care? First up, the live-action remake of Aladdin made over $1 billion in the box office worldwide. But that did not translate to success for the man who played Aladdin, Mina Masood. 
In an interview with the Daily Beast, he had this to say about post-Aladdin life. He said, I'm kind of tired of being quiet about it. I want people to know that it's not always dandelions and roses when you're doing something like Aladdin. He must have made millions. Uh, he must be getting all these offers. It's none of those things. I haven't had a single audition since Aladdin came out. Is this important? Do you care? I think somebody on Twitter said, yeah, tell that to every single person of color who won an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. This is True. the drill. I mean, we've, we, and I, we've discussed the people, the variables of that who made the exception to the rule. Like when Lupita Nyong'o started booking stuff, I remember having sort of the sigh of relief of yeah. like, oh God, I was sure she was going to be just sort of sequestered mm-hmm. away and like popping up as the best friend in to Kate Hudson and some mm-hmm. shit. And, um, but it still took a while. It did. Yeah. It definitely, it took a minute, but there, there is all it. It happens so often, and we don't do a follow up on those. Yeah. Like the the woman who starred in Roma that we were all rhapsodizing on, like the Captain Phillips guy. Yeah, yeah. Let's Mark Abdi. I was. Yeah. That's well, what he I was, was in. Oh. He was in like uh, another thing. And uh, he's but, on. He's on Castle Rock now. Actually. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I remember seeing that and getting excited. But I. That's. This is yeah. what this reminded and these me are, of. But he, what he's talking about too is straight up auditions. It's mm-hmm. not even that he's not the being cast. The roles aren't landing at his feet. Yeah. He's like, I'm not even getting called in to read something. And when you've been entrusted with this like billion dollar property, like Aladdin, and the fallout of a billion dollar property is that you don't know that guy's name. I did not realize until I talked to Ingu after the fact that one of the women in Charlie's Angels played Jasmine in that. Yeah, we yeah. never mentioned it because yeah. I didn't know she was, ja- I didn't see Aladdin. So it's this, yeah, the the audition part of it is an, an extra audacity. I know. it's. It, I think it's like two, two very uh, unfortunate parts. I think one is the part of, with all the diversity talk and stuff that's going on in Hollywood, lots of times when people look at diversity, it's a lot of black and white. And even mm. then for a lot of like black roles, there aren't there. But I think the the as you go down the list of people of color, that that like pool gets even smaller and smaller. And I think especially South Asian men have a hard time. I mean, there's this next level of typecasting for people of color of like when you're good in a thing, you become the one. Like Kumail Nanjiani be, w- has all of the South Asian mm. men roles. And before that, it was Cal Penn. Like, like it really is like that thing of like you, there can only be one Indian man. And I think the other side of it too is like when you're in a big Disney live action remake i think like you said if you think of all the people who acted in aladdin i couldn't name an uh actor outside of uh nina padrad and only because i already knew wow nina Shaker Will Smith. Oh. <laughs> oh he'll be fine <laughs> Well, you know something else I care about? The assistants that I ignore and command to not make eye contact with me. (laughs) And uh, the rest of Hollywood is also hearing about said assistants as a survey was recently released by the hashtag pay up Hollywood movement. The survey took responses from 1,500 current or former assistants working in the entertainment industry. Some of the findings included over 64% of respondents marking that they made 50000 or less per year. The minimal annual income of 
53.6 is required to not be considered rent burdened in LA, i.e. spending more than 30% of your income on rent. I hope everybody's writing down these numbers. Yeah, I there will be, be a quiz. Good. Um, 67% reported having to work a second job to make ends meet while working as an assistant. And I'll add here, this is these are assistants who are already working 50 to 60 hours a week mm. as assistants. 78% respond that their ethnicity as or reported it as white. No other ethnicity comprised more than 10% of the total. 92% reported working more than 40 hours, with 15 reporting working more than 60 hours a week. Uh, 92 with an inc- reported an increase in anxiety due to work. 66, this was the big one that I saw on Twitter, 66% reported an increase in depression, 23% with an increase in substance abuse, and 104 respondents reported having an object thrown at them by a supervisor or colleague. Is this important? Do you care? Oh, yeah. I would have guessed more throwing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that number seems shockingly low. I mean, it's- Even it's... just Scott Rudin alone. Yes. <laughs> How many hundreds has yeah. he gone through? I mean, it, it, it is like interesting when these, when this kind of information comes out, and there's like the semi surprise, but it was like, are we really surprised when like this is almost a trope in movies, and like it's kind of the same mm. thing of when when like you know uh, we finally started listening and believing the women uh, who came out against like your Bill Cosby or R. Kelly. And was like, yeah, but people have been making jokes about this. So like, uh, well, why do we even need to believe if it's, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, that. It wasn't real until Hannibal Burris. Said yeah, it, you exactly. Know? And then that's what it the feels Harvey like. The Harvey Weinstein thing. Like, yeah. People knew about it. The Kevin Spacey thing. People, you know, certainly in the industry knew about it. Yeah. And, uh, but I think also it's like, you know, this also comes back to that like devil wears Prada thing yes. of like, oh yeah, you're going to be treated like shit in this job and be underpaid and overworked and stressed out. And it's going to be a nightmare. But at the end of two years, three years, you're gonna get you're gonna be able to produce or you're gonna be able to develop yeah. your script or whatever. And it's like it's it is such a fuck over for these folks on you know who are so much of the the entertainment industry is rolling the dice anyway mm-hmm. as far as like what's gonna get made and who's gonna have a job. But the idea that you that you have to like crawl through this glass first mm-hmm. to even get considered for it is just nightmarish. And yeah. not just felt like you have to crawl through glass, but also like who gets to even afford to continue crawling yes. through glass yes. because so much of like basically like whether you can make it in the entertainment industry or not is like whether you can like afford to keep auditioning or like keep submitting material or keep like fetching someone's coffee or whatever and if you can't because you don't have parents who can support you then you're just going to get a bunch of people who are already like pretty financially comfortable who are able to do these things which means like there's fewer perspectives uh, last Friday, Reuters reported that Brazilian President uh, Jair Bolsonaro uh, accused the World Wildlife Fund of paying firefighters for photos of the Amazon fire in order to solicit donations. He also claimed the actor Leonardo DiCaprio was one of those donors who made a $500,000 contribution to the WWF. This comes on the heels of four members of a non-governmental fire brigade being arrested and, quote, accused of purposely setting fires in order to solicit donations. These men were eventually released. Uh, Bolsonaro had this to say, WWF makes a campaign against Brazil. It contacts Leonardo DiCaprio. He donates $500,000. A part of that went to the people that were setting fires. Leonardo DiCaprio, you are contributing to the fire in the Amazon. That won't do. DiCaprio and the WWF deny any involvement in any of this. 
Is this important? Do you care? This I can't one... believe Reuters even picked this up as yeah. a story. It's bonkers. <laughs> Just going to say, yeah. there is... I will never believe anything that comes out of Bolsonaro's mouth. Like there's yeah. not you you no, sir, we've we've caught you. You've been caught. He's we like know. Trump square. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think if we didn't if we didn't have quotes from executives saying crazy stuff, like what would there be left to cover? Because, yeah. You know. The yeah, this is important and I care largely because of how it reflects on our media and on how even politicians handle everything as marketing these days. Like nothing is anything but an opportunity to spin and the idea too that the or create shre- like beef yes and the shrewdness of tying leonardo dicaprio to this who admittedly has like a long history of ecological yeah. fundraising and environmental stop support getting on that private plane though yeah maybe <laughs> yeah we don't know what kind of carbon footprint uh, offset he's doing for yeah. that no it's not good but <laughs> like the idea of bolsonaro not just being like oh I'm going to address this by countering, and then I'm going to put in some uh, fake news angle, and also I'm going to tie it to a celebrity. Like, this stuff is all Hollywood 101. I don't know why anybody doesn't believe people out of Hollywood when we complain about politics, because this is the world we live in. Yeah. yeah These are is, the sharks we swim with. This is the world Roger Ailes helped create. <laughs> but also, like, Bolsonaro is, like, tied to deforestation efforts, yeah. and when the Amazon was on the fire, I don't know if it's still on fire, like, the, I think, like, a bunch of, like, European governments were, like, hey, we'll give you, like, a lot of money, like, $20 million to, like, help fight the fires. And he was like, no thanks. Yes! Well, the amount of money they came up with was pretty piddly. Like, it was at the G8 summit that it was like, like, here's some pocket change. I would take $20 million, but, you know, I'm not, like, a rich bitch like you, (laughs) Alonzo. Well, how good are your firefighting skills? (laughs) Oh. As good as the California convict system. Oh, oh. Right. Sorry, you gotta bring the April here. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, really was. Oh, Black Love. Right. <laughs> yeah, this episode's sponsored by Black Love. <laughs> and with that, we're gonna take a break. But when we come back, we'll be talking about Knives Out just as soon as we hear from another one of the shows on Maximum Fun. interrupt the podcast you're listening to to tell you about another podcast that's right we got this with mark and hal that's correct mark this is Hal. we do the hard work for you settling all of the meaningless arguments you have with your friends so tune in every week on the maximum fun network for we got this with mark and hal and all your questions will be asked and answered you're welcome all right that's enough of that we got this Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Ingu Kang. Alonzo Duraldi. And today, we're talking about Knives Out. Alonzo, would you mind providing a synopsis of the film? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, Christopher Plummer is a world-renowned, very successful mystery artist, uh, and he celebrates his 85th birthday, and uh, the next morning is found dead. Dead! Uh, with his throat cut. Dun, it, is, dun, dun. it is immediately deemed uh, a suicide, except that uh, internationally famous private detective Benoit Blanc has been hired by an anonymous uh, client to investigate murder. Dun, dun. Who, if anyone, killed the writer? Could it be his angry son-in-law whom he'd caught in an affair? Or 
his grandson, whom we threatened to cut off, or his daughter-in-law, who realized was double-dipping on her daughter's college fund and was robbing him blind and was about to be cut off without a cent, or the housekeeper, or the nurse, or a bunch of other people I've already forgotten. Who they are. <laughs> you, know, you also forgot his daughter. Although I guess maybe she's the one who really has no motive. Yeah, it could be her too. I don't know. She's, just, <laughs> she's one saying. of those millionaire families. I'm self-made. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Self-made millionaire. Yeah. Oh. Daughter of a millionaire. <laughs> I just don't want Jamie Lee Curtis to get lost in all of no. us. No, no, yeah. no. Fair enough. Oh, she was uh, solid too. And before we before we get too deep into this, just to be clear, we're going to talk around things for a while. And then at some point we will inevitably have to start getting into spoiler territory. So skip ahead if that's an issue. This movie is we'll, a whodunit. We'll give you a heads up once we get to spoiler. We will indeed. Though. But this movie is a whodunit. A lot of the pleasure derives in not knowing things. So you know, feel free to come back to this later if, if you want to come in gold. Yeah. Well, speaking of whodunit, uh, are y'all fans of the whodunit genre? Love them. Oh, oh, generally, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, totally. They're okay. Oh. <laughs> I grew up like a, such an Agatha Christie head. I mm-hmm. read every single one of her books, like fourth and fifth grade. That was like my. Me and my dad read them. Super cool family. Super cool. (laughs) My dad, whose name is Richard, my mother, Linda. Those are the parents' names in Knives Out. So it was a big thrill for me. Mm. Because, you know, every white person their age is named Dick and Linda. (laughs) So it's legit. No, I I like an all-star mystery. Um, You know, I was was pretty young when the original Murder on the Orient Express came out. Mm -hmm. And that sort of launched a whole sort of new era of Agatha Christie, you know, kind of remake. So you had like Death on the Nile, you had Evil Under the Sun. And so uh, if you're going to give me a cast of famous people whose names appear in boxes on the bottom of the poster, if it's not going to be a disaster movie, then it had better be nice. a whodunit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, no, uh, I, I, you know, I read my fair share of Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, one of my favorite uh, uh, narrative tropes in uh, TV is like the murder mystery where lights go out comes on yes. uh, i was hyped i saw with my buddy lamar who was also in the, my comedy group white women and we were so jazzed the whole time just being like the whole time like being like oh it might be this person oh it might because that's yes. like the fun of the movie is trying to get ahead of it and the fun of that is uh, a smart movie will know you're trying to do that so they'll just keep pulling the rug under you because the, after a certain point you're like wait they might just be feeding us this so they want us to think this uh but it was uh yeah had a fun time you said yes ingu yeah that you like whodunits in general no, I don't like them. I oh, find procedurals in general so boring, and oh. I just like don't see the point. I think this one is a little bit different because, like, first of all, it all takes place in this like rural New England mansion, and the production design for this house is just Bonkers. fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There is not like one. Uh, like plain piece of wall you can look no. at, <laughs> and so I just love like that sort of stuffed feel, I guess, like with the house. And uh, I used to live in Massachusetts, and brag, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> genuine no. But it was just like nice to sort of like revisit that kind of like cold, like wintry, like look at all of these spooky white people feel. <laughs> sweaters. And, yes. Oh, so many sweater sweaters. Oh, yeah. So many sweaters. And I also like the fact that like you have this like amazing 
amazing cast play really interesting characters who are like very quirky but also for the most part like pretty relatable at the same time so yeah i knew this was not going to be like my favorite thing going in but i also like ryan johnson is set writer director ryan johnson who is famous who is most famous <laughs> who is most famous for directing the last jedi but also the looper and also the brick is basically like one of his big things is taking genres that you're very familiar with and then doing new spins on them and so i was like okay like i don't like the procedural, but maybe I will like Ryan Johnson's spin on the procedural. So I was willing to give this a shot, and you know what? Eh. Still, still an eh for you. I'd say I, I, I feel like I've been under the the Ingu Kang black cloud on this movie because <laughs> I, cozy. I, I liked it. Like I liked it. I think it works. Like it was entertaining enough, and there were things about it that that, that cared long, and I was not mad when it was over, but. This movie premiered at the Toronto Film Festival and got like the most orgasmic early reviews. And the the way that it was marketed with like that un- amazing ensemble cast and the summoning up of the th- those Christie movies and of you know the last of Sheila and Sleuth and all those kind of movies that I just love, I went in with fairly high expectations and and really like kind of you know I didn't read the reviews but just you know you absorb it through Twitter where yeah. like people were just loving this movie. And I have to say, it kind of it, it sort of left me where a lot of other Ryan Johnson movies leave me, which is like I admire the set, the the intent, ambition. the 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 ambition and the intent more than the results. You know, like I think the Brothers Bloom love the art direction. I love Rinko Kikuchi's performance. Generally, it kind of leaves me cold. Don't care for Looper much at all. Uh, and this one was sort of like. Yeah, I, I know what you're trying to do here, and I, I love that you're trying to do it. And, like, I, I love that, that you're bringing back this genre that's kind of fallen out of favor and that nobody really does that much anymore. And please inspire more people to do it. That'd be great. But I didn't leave with that just sort of, like, crackling excitement. Of, wow, I've really seen something amazing. It was kind of like, eh, that was... That was yeah, like fun that was two right. hours. Mm. Oh, I'm horny for this movie. Yeah, uh, I'm team uh, <laughs> orgasmic, and no, I was uh, I was all on board. Ingu, you nailed it. Where he like you go into the movie, and at this point, I'm sorry, this is spoilers free. Smash that uh, that that forward button if you're not trying to hear it. But they, I think you go in. Really, because they even have that campaign that I was speaking about a few weeks ago where they're like, see if you can figure out who done it. They really kind of lob you up thinking it's going to be like you trying to figure out which one of the family members. And like immediately you find out, no, this is all a setup. You and you get all of that information well, from the top. Yeah. And they and then when they reveal it, they reveal he did actually commit suicide. Yeah. And and then again, it's extenuating circumstances around there, which is part of the reason reason that you're like oh wait am i supposed to believe it oh he did like they've said forensically yeah and then you see him no it actually was a suicide but there is still the a murder it. there's still a shenanigan right and there's, and there's yeah. also the possibility of you know that uh, you're you're thinking i i had him in the back of my mind what if act three rolls around and it turns out that like the person who's being presented as the the poor innocent and in all this is playing everything I, yeah. so i told my friends i was i kept expecting the whole time and i don't know if this was to the detriment of the movie or like my own like annoying way of watching things I kept expecting the Kaiser Soze ending like the the double reveal where I see someone like 
wink of like, uh, but actually, was I the one fooling you? Right. Oh, yeah. I think it's just because that is just too like straightforward and pure of a movie for a movie that's kind of doing like it's like if you're watching uh, if you're watching the X Games and you're seeing someone do a skateboard line. Ingo, like when you're watching the X Games <laughs> and you see someone skate it. Yeah. And, and you see, you know, they start off with a nollie into a kickflip, sure. uh, shove it. And you're like, OK, so this is obviously going to go into an intense trick, but really it's just playing it simple the whole time. This is like listening to a Scientology talk where I know all of the words, but I don't know what any of this means. And I'm not I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's that it fooled me into thinking that this was one possible, you know, yeah. like ending for the for all of it. I I didn't I I really enjoyed this. I my takeaway from it was, oh, what a nice time at the movies. How I enjoy going to the cinema and like <laughs> Nice. I can recommend this to my parents, which I know is like its own genre of film. Um, but I do. My only like was I did feel there was some sort of story in all of the like the tracing and the clues that came, especially in the third act of and then this and then this and the reveal and the whatever that it's I felt exhausting. could have been tightened in some way. Yeah. But largely, I think. It, this was one of the films, you guys know, I try not to watch trailers if yeah. I can help it. Like, I'll only see them. But this is one that played before another movie I saw. The trailer for this is so good and so concise that it sets up this expectation that, oh, I'm going to see a very concise film. Yeah. And this is not. This is a sprawling mansion that someone kept building wings onto because yeah. they the were Winchester haunted. Winchester Mystery House. Yes, yeah. exactly. Ryan Johnson does not too concise. Exactly. <laughs> and so I, once I was like, okay, let go, then yeah. I, then I I got into it. And I also, I truly enjoyed the fact that so many movies we see um, don't know that they're about white privilege or mm-hmm. about uh, racial or class divides. And this film was like, oh, no, these people are white privilege <laughs> and there is a racial and a class divide. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what's uh, funny is I feel like on the surface level, it seems like it's going after like more Trumpian people. But to me, it was like, no, these are white liberals, because I think the funniest thing is you see how they all attack the like alt righty kid. They're all attacking him. They're yeah. saying he's the worst. And then the moment this woman of color inherits all the money there, they just immediately turn to like, you owe us. We gave you everything. Right. When really everything we like, it didn't take that much opening to see. Y'all ain't did shit. Like no. he hired her. You never visited this man. When, when they're they're all like, oh, I wanted to come to the funeral, but I was. Oh, out that was every my favorite person. runner. That, no, that's the, a funny the best runner to me was the one where every single person refers to her from being from a different home country. Yes, <laughs> they're from Paraguay. No, oh, she's from Uruguay. Oh, you're Brazilian nurse. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually what I really disliked about the you movie. You didn't like that because I felt like. I understand, like, he was trying to do, like, SJW Clue, right? Like, I get that. (laughs) I get that, like, there's, like, Ryan Johnson, perhaps scarred by, like, all of the experience that he had with The Last Jedi and, like, his efforts at inclusion were, like, oh, like, you fucking, like, conservative shits. I'm going to, like, diversify the hell out of this by having one, like, pure soul who is an immigrant and like a brown woman in this movie and i just it just felt like white guilt the movie to me in a way that like i did not appreciate because his approach to basically like the one substantive character of color is to essentially 
have her be so much better than all of the white people that she's like really not allowed to be a human being. Mm. I think like one of like the she recurring... is covering up a murder. But one of the recurring gags about her is that like she can't like the reason oh, yeah. why Daniel Craig's detective <laughs> keeps coming to her is because she has a weird syndrome where she literally cannot tell a lie without vomiting. Yeah. And the fact that she's like so pure of heart that she's like biologically distinct from all of these like other white people was like a little bit too much for me. It's so funny because I do want to highlight that point because that is something I get on a lot is uh, lots of times, especially in television and sitcom, when there is like the one person of color, they always make Mm. them perfect Mm. because like they are afraid to, if they give them any flaws, it'll, it'll like make them feel racist. I've heard this even from the inside. I won't blast anybody. For, sure. for the people who told yeah. me but for me it works in this movie because this movie has such like heightened versions of these people that I did like going to a movie and like yeah all the white people are horrible and and we are not I already, like, I already know white people are horrible I did resent that because they, they have a conversation that I fully listened to my family have yeah. and watching a beautiful Don Johnson with like 15 layers of sweater on. He had like <laughs> multi shirts. But listening to him talk about like the why it's um, that it's necessary to cage people or to separate uh. families at the border. Like they crossed the, they broke the rules. And Barbara and me, like as I'm getting inflamed, all of a sudden Tony Collette's character, who's been set up as this very Gwyneth Paltrow goop running, yeah. she starts voicing the Drea Clark opinion. And I was like, <gasps> How am I the butt of this joke? (laughs) Well, it's time to give our final review of Knives Out. Ingu, would you screen it, stream it, or skip it? I mean, I would skip it just to look at this house and also the sweaters. But, you know, like, maybe go in with slightly lower expectations. Wait, skip it is not watch it it at all. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I haven't been here in a while. (laughs) Stream it is like the middle one. Go to the theater. Screen it. Oh, screen oh, it. Yes. Okay. Oh, nice. Okay. For the sweaters. Good. There are so many good knits in yeah. this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, and it's cozy season two, so I'm definitely going to be inspired walking into an H&M. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess screen it. I mean, like, I, I, you know, I was, I was underwhelmed a bit by this, but I didn't not enjoy it. And I think, you know, I want there to be more movies like this. I'm glad this movie's doing well. So, yes, more all-star whodunits, please. Even Ooh. And maybe uh, whodunits where they actually use their all-stars more. I'm also a screen it. I think it was fun. Um, there's, it'll, yeah, it takes a little breath towards the end, but I think it's a good fun use of its cast i like an original film um there's cheekiness from all sorts of players it's a murderer's row like we didn't even mention like michael shannon is mm. in like it's ricky lindholm oh it's an insane lineup so yeah yeah uh but y'all already know i'm team screen it i want to watch this and you know i'm a shout out alamo draft house again hopefully so they can give me a free pass like they did a uh, friend of the pod ira you know go to the alamo draft house <laughs> kick up your leg and eat a big bird uh, actually, the Alamo, I think around the country, is doing a series curated by Ryan Johnson of movies that influenced mm. Knives Out, which includes Sleuth and The Last of Sheila and uh, Murder of the Orient Express and Evil Under the Sun and and Death on the Nile. And uh, go see those for sure if you can.
can. Ooh, yeah. All right. And when I post this on Twitter, make sure you tag Alamo Draft House so they can do me. <laughs> wow. Me. I am not afraid Your thirst to thirst knows no bounds. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm thirsty for free movies, uh, anime boobs, and uh, I guess keto snacks. Instagram likes. Nope. Yep. There it is. <laughs> See, what would I do without you, Alonzo? <laughs> Christmas Zaddy always got my back. But we'll be right back after we hear from another show from Maximum Fun. Oh, flawless transition. <laughs> He's got a gift. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners regardless of quality or content with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or a Medi- medication. medication. First-time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know know how to participate follow dr game show on facebook instagram and twitter we'd love to hear yeah, from you it's really fun for the whole family we'll be every other wednesday starting march 13th and we're coming to max fun snorlax pokemon yes nice. welcome back to who shot you i'm your host if you way and in the studio with me are alonzo duraldi ingu kang drea clark and now it's time to answer a call from the Who Shot Line. Casey, do me a favor, play that call. Hi, y'all. This is Eve from Alameda, California. And um, I just rewatched the 2000 uh, Charlie's Angels and remembered how much the music was imprinted on me. Um, every time I hear Marvin Gaye's Got to Give It Up, I think of Sam Rockwell's evil smile and dancing. And of course, uh, Lucy Liu's Power Walk to Barracuda is forever burned on my mind. Um, so I was wondering uh, what movie soundtracks were imprinted on your all's minds. Um, I look for, forward to hearing what you have to say. I love the show. Oh, boy. This is mm. actually... my char- The Charlie's Angel song I always think of from that movie is Prodigy. Yeah. Mm, no, like, no, no, it's no, such no, a like, no, moment no, no. of that. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking, no, no, no. heaven must be missing Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. It's crazy <laughs> how not hearing wrong. you singing it, it just pops the yeah. scene in my head. But yeah, that's, that's, that movie got me into Prodigy and probably into raving. So, uh, yeah. you know, oh. insomniac events. Uh, just another you. good thing McGee has done for this world. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the soundtrack that immediately comes to mind for me is from Boslerman's Romeo plus Juliet. No. That is that was quintessential. There's like ballads. You've got like loving yes. you. Like there's oh, it's so good. Uh-huh. Like every every song in it was eccentric and popular at the same yeah. time. Uh, one I have is kind of like that too, and and actually this is a movie that is not super well known, but is now finally getting a Criterion release this month in its full director's cut. So I'm hoping that changes. That would be until the end of the world, the Vim Vendors movie, his epic globe trotting oh, road how long picture. Is it? Uh, five hours. Yes, as you guys know, if it's less than three hours, <laughs> I can't be Alonso's bothered. not interested. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but he, he has this amazing soundtrack where he went to all of these different musicians and said, like, 
record a song that you think will sound like what you'll sound like in 1999 because he made this movie back, Ooh. you know, in the late 80s. And so it's like, uh, you know, you 2 and Elvis Costello and Nick Cave and uh, Jane Sibbery and Katie Lang and all these really great people, uh, Depeche Mode. Um, and like this was, I, I listened to the soundtrack constantly. It became like my uh, soundtrack that I would put on when I was either trying to impress people or sleep with them or both. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, so that that's that's one that I like, but when I when I think about like specific movie moments, um, even though we discussed this one recently is a problematic film that I don't really watch anymore. At the very end of Sixteen Candles, when the cars all part, oh yeah, and there's Jake Ryan in the Porsche, and the Thompson Twins, if you were here, comes wafting onto the soundtrack. That's that's just one of those John moments Hughes that stays with me yeah. forever. Had a lot of like they did solid soundtrack work. Uh, yeah, Ingu. Any soundtrack standouts for so, you? So this is my problem. I don't really like music with words. God, I love you. <laughs> I love it so much. Here's my problem with this category. <laughs> so I was like thinking like film scores I really like. Hey, I was okay, going to say go into scores because I, I got a few. I'm going to pull Alonzo for a deep ass cut. Uh, I, love... I don't know if that <laughs> sentence should be written down. Yeah, I... Okay, go on. <laughs> I love like the entire score for uh, Barry Lyndon. Mm. Oh yeah, it's like lots of like quietly angry Schubert. Like <laughs> definitely my jam. I think much, <laughs> much more recently. Um, I think like the uh, score for If Beale Street Could Talk mm. by Nicholas Bertel was like great, one of those like rare times where like I went home and I just like listened to the score for like a really long time. Nicholas Bertel also obviously composed like the best song of like the last two years, which is the Succession theme song. Mm. Oh my so, God, yes. Clearly a genius. Um, I'm going to treasure the idea of angry Schubert songs forever. <laughs> quietly, oh, quietly angry. angry. Quietly yeah. angry Schubert. Like Ingu herself. Like Ingu herself. Oh my God, so true. All right, so we're going to start from the where from the top, the top, the first soundtrack I fell in love with. The Are first gonna, one. Oh, I feel like I know it. The first one that I just played front to back that I love. If you say Pulp Fiction, I was I'm leaving say, this house. Say Pulp Fiction. No, I'm going to say Space Jam, baby. Space, the Space Jam soundtrack slapped. I don't care what anyone says. That soundtrack was the first thing I got from that weird. Uh, what was it? The where you get that magazine and you picked five. CDs off of it Columbia and they were mail- yes mm. I <laughs> cannot sit between Ingu and Ify <laughs> if they're going to respond to things by saying quietly angry Schubert and Space Jam <laughs> that, that's what people tune into the show for it hurts yeah, you, my neck whiplashing you, like this you gotta you gotta listen to that but one of my favorite Space scores Jam. of of all time I will give it the score of the decade is going to be mountains from interstellar because you can really it's it's oh, uh, our bar track. yeah yeah it's our boy um Hans Zimmer oh duh. oh, oh the king guy. of blah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty like the song uh mountains takes place when they went into that water planet and they're like yo where the fuck are we and then the giant wave just starts to m- and the the score, the way it ramps up, it ramps up like waves, and it just takes me back there, takes me back to that, to that moment. water planet. Yeah, and then of course I can also not shout out Ludwig Goransson who did the Black Panther, <laughs> but thank you 
to everyone who called in. The number for the Who Shot line is WSY 803-1664. And now it's time for the segment that fills everyone's heart with that warm and cozy feeling. Some would say like a warm mocha white chocolate flavor, like a <laughs> eggnoggy flavor. Not that pumpkin spice bullshit that they've been pushing into eggnog and they need to stop. It's time for the Christmas Zaddy Christmas Movie Minute. Our Christmas Zaddy Alonzo Duralde will quickly list all of the Christmas movies he's seen this past week in under a minute. What are his qualifications, you ask? Well, he's written a book all about Christmas movies called Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. So he knows his stuff. As a matter of fact, pause the episode real quick. Go on Amazon, okay? And on Amazon, you're going to type in Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. Uh, I hope you didn't pause when I said pause it, because then you're not hearing the next steps. <laughs> But then, Salesmanship. And then, and then buy it. Uh, but Alonzo, are you ready? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so Hallmark back-to-back, one on two consecutive nights, does our Christmas love song and a Christmas duet, which have, like, the same third act, where somebody has to go, they're going to, they're, the, the, the famous person's going to do the show locally, but then they're going to go do, like, the big Christmas special with the famous person, but at the last minute they come back and do the thing in the small town with their ex, and they're singing together again, and isn't that great? They're both fine, whatever. Christmas at the Plaza, winner of the week, really charming, uh, uh, shot in the mostly in the Plaza Hotel in New York. Lots of fun, fun references to like Eloise and North by Northwest for whatever reason. Uh, that was a hoot. Christmas at Graceland, home for the holidays. It doesn't have Kelly Pickler, so it's a big step up. But uh, Adrian Grenier's hair is the worst. Um, Christmas and Evergreen Tidings of Joy. I gotta say, uh, Hallmark, I got no love for When Calls the Heart, but I could watch these evergreen white nonsense every week. I love these movies. Keep them coming. Uh, Random Act of Christmas over on Lifetime has one of the When Calls the Heart guys in it. Kind of dopey, but super charming. It worked. Christmas in Rome. Oi, Lacey Chabert. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That was amazing. Yeah. And I truly get that song stuck in my head, or that 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 medley every every week. It's so great. Oh, Lacey Chabert. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, now it's time for our staff picks. It could be any movie, in theaters, streaming, what have you. Ingu, you're our guest, so why don't you start us off? So my pick of the week is a little movie called In the Fabric. It is a very terrible title and has... Actually, like a probably pretty terrible premise, which is basically that this dress is going around killing people. <laughs> uh, is it controlled by witches? Probably. However, you don't see all of that all very much. It's just like the dress killing whoever wears it. And it is goofy as shit. Yes. Is it like a weirdly, strangely good movie that plays with like the tropes of the horror genre and then also like adds in a bunch of like anti-capitalist satire and then ends up like weirdly, really, really funny? Yes. Go check it out. It comes out like the same day this episode drops. That was a good pitch. Because I want to see that. I'm locked in. And you really did bring your April today. Yeah. You really did. I know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wrote a review for Slate, so if you need like a little bit more convincing, that's oh, something yes. that you can do. Ingo writes really good reviews. Mm-hmm. I always like how she uses words in sentences. <laughs> it's a bold choice. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Drea, do you have a... I do have a film. Mm. Thank you for asking. My staff pick this week is called A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It is by a director named Celine Sciamma. Is that how we say her name? And I programmed a previous film of hers called Tomboy that I loved so much. And so familiar with her work and her style... Um, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire is also my f- one of my very favorite subgenres is um, period films with lesbian romances, and they don't make nearly enough of them. So this one is so sensuous and beautiful, and it's also it's about this woman who has been um, hired to paint the portrait. Literally, it's right there in the title, you guys, <laughs> to paint the portrait of a lady, but it's to um, help her mother basically like sell her off into matrimony in the late 1800s. Old times. In olden times. And um, you guys, they might fall in love, but mm-hmm. it's so stunning and so much about capturing those like hiccup moments of falling in love. And it's uh, it's a beaut. And it's also... A heartbreaker. So just be ready for a real wave of emotions, you guys. Check it out if you can. Well, speaking of lesbians and Christmas. Yes, please do. uh, I want to recommend a movie called Season of Love, which is uh, a bold effort to make a holiday rom-com very much in the Hallmark Lifetime mold. Uh, but with uh, three lesbian couples, uh, there was just a piece in the in uh, the rap about the sort of absence of queer characters in in these Christmas movies. Uh, Lifetime has a few supporting characters. There was a there was we got an actual gay kiss in a movie called Twinkle All the Way. I'm not going to say that wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal, but you know it's baby steps. Uh, but you know there we we never get to be the focal point. And in Season of Love, it is it it is about these three couples getting together, and it's ladies, 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 and it's. Very Christmassy and very fun, and uh, you know if you if you like your cable Christmas movies, this is another film where they have empty coffee cups because that's the rule. Yes. Uh, but you should totally check it out. Um, I want to see more movies like this. You can get this one streaming. Uh, go to seasonoflovemovie.com to find out more where you can get it. But uh, yeah, watch it at home, enjoy it this Christmas, and let's see some more. LGBTQ Christmas stories. Woo! Woo! All right. And I'm going to bring it in, as I usually do, stinking it up at the end with yes. my staff pick. It's going to be another throwback. Not because, Space Jam, please. Oh, He has literally oh. already made Space Jam his staff pick before. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I, that is true. This staff pick, you know, is one that I had blasting on my new sound system, Surround Sound. And this one is, is, is a movie that really encapsulates the 90s it is if you really want to relive the 90s then you need to see the movie the crow uh i went back and rewatched it and man uh you know really out the gate like you know we talk about fridging <laughs> a lot do and, we uh you know i mentioned i mentioned free that, that might be more on nerdificent uh nerd properties do that a lot but yeah the, the fridging in this movie and the re the reminder of what happened to his wife throughout the movie i'm like all right we get it we we get it like let's go but it it, it so it's a leonardo dicaprio movie yeah <laughs> Oh. oh my god, they really do all have that. Yeah. But it but in the end like it was almost like this like warm fuzzy cuz it really like is 
such a 90s movie. Like, he walks around with a guitar. He's, you know, goth out. This is what eventually led to Sting doing his change into the black and white makeup in the WCW. Anyway, <laughs> see The Crow. It's great. It has, uh, you know, a slapping, gothy soundtrack. I was going to say, it ties to the phone call. Great song score and great score. Yeah. It really, like, made me want to see, wish to see what more Brandon Lee could have done. Mm. Because he was, like... He really did bring life to that character. Solid. Yeah. Solid bummer ending. Yeah, yeah, you know. Like I said, I gotta stink things up and make it all sad. But before we go, let's read a five-star review. If you leave a five-star review on an Apple podcast, we'll read it on air. Uh, this one is from Jabonis. Jab- yeah. Jabon- Why not? Yeah. <laughs> New listener working my way through the backlog by skipping around new and old episodes. Regardless of the time, the conversation is entertaining, thoughtful, and knowledgeable, except for when Iffy is on. I added that. I I wish uh, they went on longer in their discussion and dissection, but wouldn't sacrifice any of the viewpoints and opinions offered by the various hosts and guests. Thank you for the genuinely diverse and honest podcast about something so many people love. Thank you. Yes, truly. Also, we also wanted to announce that you can now officially buy a Jumbotron on our show. (sighs) Yeah. What's a Jumbotron, you may ask? Well, Maximum Fund's Jumbotron program allows anyone to share their message on a MaximumFun.org podcast, just like the Jumbotron at the ballpark. It's a fun way to show your support for your favorite shows and get the word out about what you're up to. It's easy and cheap. Only $100 for a personal message and $200 for a promotional one. Uh, so if you want to give a special shout out to a friend or loved one, check us out at MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron. Ingu, thank you for being on the show. Yay! Where can people find you? Anything you want to plug? Let all of it. I have nothing to plug. Please don't find me. <laughs> find her online and read her writing. Slate.com. She's such a good writer. <laughs> She's a very talented (laughs) film critic. She's got really interesting things to say. She puts words in sentences. (laughs) All of them. And of course, before we go, I have to tell you all about MaxFunStore.com. Producer Casey has a Winchester pointed at the glass, ready to let go. You can go there to buy all the Maximum Fun merch you ever wanted, including our incredible Who Shot Your Christmas ornament, which is back in stock. Oh, yeah. yeah. It sold out, and I, I, was, I got the email notification when they were back in stock, and I was like, yes, please, now. Thank you. You can get two and wear them as earrings. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I uh, bought some and sold them on eBay for a million dollars, so you could do that, too. Uh, it's a great gift for a fellow who shot your listener around the holidays, or if they don't listen, you could buy it, and then they'll have to. It's kind of like when you give someone a band shirt and they're like, well, I guess I'll check this band out. (laughs) (laughs) There also are a bunch of other gifts for other MaxFun shows too, so go check out MaxFunStore.com. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at WhoShotYourPod. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash group forward slash WhoShotYourPodcast or send us an email at WhoShotYou at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Lore Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun. Oh, Lacey Chabert. (laughs) (laughs) MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.